0: The Disney Parks Podcast Infotainment Segment. Well, you will most likely recognize our guest today as the voice of the Hollywood Tower of Terror Hotel. In fact, NBC said he he is, and I'm quoting now, the only voice artist recognized by the Rod Serling estate. He's done a ton of other voice work for Disney as well, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to welcome Mark Silverman to the show. How are you doing this night?
1: Well, thank you. I am very honored to be on your program. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right off the right off the bat, <laughs> that's great.
1: Well, yes, <laughs> well, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, yeah.
2: thank you. Uh, I'm I'm
0: so glad uh, I did my yearly. I my I am extremely acrophobic. So that attraction is is not my favorite because I hate the fear of falling. But once a year yeah. I, I make myself write it, uh for my wife's sake mainly. And so we wrote it two weeks ago. Uh and I had no idea that we were interviewing you tonight, so that's even better. So I've got it fresh in my mind. Uh the terrifying parts I've kind of put back in that place so they talked to you with my counselor. Uh <laughs> But it's I'm
1: such glad you made it through.
0: That's <laughs> Thanks, direct. I appreciate that. We didn't go into the thirteenth dimension or anything. It was great. Uh, wow. it, it's such an, a, an amazing attraction, and what uh, outside of of all the, the 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 ride itself, just the queue area that features your voice and Rod Serling, and the way they intercut the acting, the voice. And the video, the, the not the B-roll, but the, the storytelling behind it is so incredible. For someone who does a lot of editing, to see how that was put together was masterful.
1: Wow. Well, well, thank you. I, I know. I think we baffled people for 25 years now. Yeah. I, I it's 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 put together so well that uh, I mean, you really think Rod Serling's talking about the uh, Hollywood Tower Hotel?
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 It is a uh, very good illusion. <laughs> yeah, it's. it's I know.
1: There, there, there's one thing. Sometimes people say, "Look how Disney had to remove Rod Sterling's cigarette from the pre-show." Um, but that isn't that isn't true. He didn't, he didn't. He didn't smoke in the original clip.
2: Yeah. Wow. 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 What, uh, do you know? What clip that uh, is that they're showing us?
1: It's from. It's a good life. It, oh. That's the one of the little boy that wishes you into the cornfield.
0: Huh. Ooh, that's a great. And, and, and
1: he's originally standing in front of a map of the United States, hmm. and so and, and and there's a little blacked out spot from where now all the states have been blacked out except for the area where this little kid lives because he magically made all the other states disappear. Huh. And Rod Serling is, is in front of that map, and he says. This is, you may recognize, is a map of the United States, and there's a little town called Peaksville. And so it just, for the Tower of Terror, became this is, you may recognize, is a maintenance service elevator. You know, with all the magic of editing, it it was done so well.
2: Right. Right. So uh, this is going to be a weird question, but what came first, you doing the voice or you being a fan of the Twilight Zone?
1: Well... If I'm a, usually if I'm a real big fan of something, I end up doing the voice, <laughs> which okay. is strange. Like, I I became obsessed with the show Get Smart mm. when I was a little boy when I was <laughs> like twelve, right? So I would go around talking like Maxwell Smarty to maybe six of control. That's all I would talk like, you know. Right. And then around that same time, Rocky came out. Oh, so you doing me Rocky about boys? I can't see nothing. Got open my eyes, you know what I mean? So I started talking like everything that I like. And then, you know, <laughs> I love Twilight Zone. So I would go around speaking like Rod Serling. <laughs> but I never really took that seriously, the Rod Serling bit. And then, yeah. like, I became a voice actor. And around, you know, 1993, mm-hmm. I got a call. They were looking for a Rod Serling voice for a new Disney attraction. And <laughs> wow. that was that.
0: Wow. 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 Is that when you are were- Your Disney journey began that phone call?
1: Well, that was my first Disney voiceover job ever. Wow, wow. But I was, you know, obsessed with Disneyland and Walt Disney World years before that, mm. to the to the point where I would smuggle in my little cassette recorder and record the rides and then come home and practice all the different voices on all the various attractions. And then I, I became the voice of a ride. I mean, it all just happened so perfectly. Wow.
2: Yeah, yeah. So do you still have any of those, uh, I'm assuming they're cassettes?
1: <laughs> I do have a lot of the cassettes still.
2: Wow. That'd be fun to listen to.
1: I gotta put them on D on CDs. I think.
2: Yeah, yeah, or or digital media, something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right.
1: <laughs> right. I know there. I have so many tapes. Most of them still play. Right. But you know, cassettes for forty years old and they still play a lot of them.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, and about- then
1: what was interesting is on the opening of Tower of Terror, I had my tape recorder with me and recorded my own voice. <laughs>
2: and the circle has come complete.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's that's exactly right.
2: I think if you asked them, Mark, they would have sent you a recording. You probably didn't have to do it on the cassette.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I, I wanted to record my first experience on the yeah. attraction.
2: Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Plus, okay. how often
0: can you take a cassette recorder into a Disney attraction and record yourself yeah. recording the audio from a Disney attraction that you're recording on your own cassette tape of yeah. you recording yeah. Yeah. A, yeah. your own audio? That
1: really doesn't make any—it's crazy, isn't it's, it? But
0: it's, it's, it's the perfect kind of crazy for normal Disney fans. Yeah. It totally makes I know. sense. It's, I would it's totally it's do nobody.
1: That. Everybody that knew me growing up and knew how obsessed I was with Disneyland, they couldn't believe that I ended up narrating a Disney ride. It just was too perfect.
2: Yeah, Mm. that's good. That's that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, I want to deviate a little bit Mm. on the Rocky thing, because I remember you telling us a story. uh, I think it was the Larry King show. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Can you tell that story about uh, you on the Larry King show?
1: Stallone's mother was being interviewed on CNN, on the Larry King show. Awesome. And I called in just to see what she would think of my impression. Hey, Ma, how you doing? You look great tonight. You look absolutely fantastic. And and all of a sudden, it's live, so it says (laughs) Sylvester Stallone on phone. Wow. And it's flashing on CNN. So for like 15 minutes, I just... Did the interview and let Larry ask me things. It was kind of crazy. <laughs>
0: how, how did you come clean on that one?
1: Uh, no, it was, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough, let me tell you. But what I well, actually, Larry King had a radio show that night, and I called up and confessed. And he wouldn't even believe me. Said, no, wow. we called Sylvester back at home right after the show. That wasn't you, you know.
2: <laughs> sure, sure. sure. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. yeah.
3: With your, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I couldn't figure it out either.
2: With
0: your voice, the way that you're the the voices that you do, has anybody reached out to you and said you should you should try to do uh, uh, Stanley? Do you do yeah. a Stanley voice?
1: <laughs> well, you mean the, the the I mean I probably could, but. It's never really come up. I can sound like an old man, you know. I could, but uh, that's, I probably could, sure.
0: With with the way your voice sounds, I mean, I could just see moving forward. Because Disney, you know, they do, especially with the new streaming service, they do all these cartoons. And Stan has been such a part of it now that he's gone, mm. I'm sure they have tons of recordings of him. You're singing, absolutely right. You know. And I've
1: I've been a lot of old men voices for Disney.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I could just hear you going,
1: Excelsior. <laughs> I could just <laughs> I, pro- I probably could.
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: awesome. Uh, well that's not that different than I got a lot of work as friend Owl for Bambi projects.
0: Oh, oh yeah.
3: really? Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Bambi. Bambi is, uh, or the friend owl is, uh, an old man and, uh, sounds like that. Um, and once I knew they were looking forward to an impression, I mean, looking for a new voice, I, I auditioned for it and felt pretty good about it. Yeah. Wow.
3: That's
1: yeah. That's why if you get some of the DVDs, the owl reads the stories. Yeah. And, uh, I took over for Will Wright. Is that old man? Will mm. Wright is the original voice of Friend Owl for the original Bambi. Mm. And if you he he pops up the second you see his face, you know who he is because he pops up like as your sheriff and I love Lucy and as an old cantankerous fella on the Andy Griffith program. Oh, you would instantly yeah. recognize him. Yeah. Yeah, so I felt very good about doing that because it was very exciting for me. Yeah. I, I I love to do that because even before, you know, when I was a kid, I would always practice old man voices, and it really came in handy.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm practicing mine because I, I've got some kids, <laughs> and they need to get off my lawn, so I'm trying to
1: <laughs> get yeah, off my you, lawn. You get, yeah, get get off my lawn, son. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so could you tell us a little bit about how you started in the entertainment industry?
1: Well... Um, I knew that I wasn't going to, all of a sudden, I'm an old man again. <laughs> See, sometimes you do these voices, and you get caught up in it, you know? Right. Well, what happened was, I started doing impressions, like of that Maxwell Smart and of my teachers right. and things. And then I got a job on the radio, on a a radio station called KROQ in Los Angeles. And I I started doing prank phone calls and impressions. And then after that, I got a voice agent and started uh, revoicing celebrities. And that really was fun. So Tower of Terror came in in the early 90s, and that was revoicing for Rod Serling. Mm -hmm. So that worked. I had a real knack for mimicry.
2: Interesting.
1: Actually, the the last uh, movie that Walt Disney personally supervised called The Happiest Millionaire, I was brought in when they restored that movie, and I had to revoice Fred McMurray. Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because when I would watch My Three Sons... I knew there was a certain way that Fred McMurray spoke and, uh, uncle Charlie, my chip, Robbie and Ernie, he has a very breathy voice, you know? So yeah. this uh, this audition came up and I thought nobody probably was as weird as me going around talking like Fred McMurray as a little boy, you know? So, <laughs> They had the audition, and I—I I knew I was going to get it. And then, like two days later, the phone rang in the morning, and they said, I want you at Disney Studios to be the voice of Remy." And it, it was like the only job ever that I knew for sure I would get.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When you were when you were starting uh, in the industry, uh, who were some of your uh, people that you looked up to?
1: Well, of course. Any voice guy, especially anyone that does voices for Disney, you're you're crazy about Paul Freeze.
2: Oh sure, yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: You're crazy about Paul Freeze. <laughs> and now, the talent with the talented hands of the sculptor and the many artists at the Walt Disney Studios, we bring you great moments with Mister Lincoln. You would, you know, you start doing <laughs> those kinds of things, <laughs> right? And wow, the, and then um. You know, one thing leads to another, but yeah, it would definitely Paul Freeze as far as voice people, mm. and you know, Rich Little, the impressionist, did some that were incredible.
2: Oh yeah,
1: so it really inspires you. You know, but then you know, you want a lot of your favorite actors. You want to sound like, mm-hmm. like um, I loved Pacino, and one of my first big revoicing jobs was for Universal Studios. I had to go in. Mm-hmm. As Al Pacino, and I had to revoice Al Pacino for a movie called Carlito's Way.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. And,
1: and back then in the early '90s, they showed more movies on regular television, but you couldn't have the cuss words on regular television. Right, right. So, so I would have to go in and watch his dialogue and then repeat the dialogue, but put in. More family-friendly words. <laughs> Th- that's why. That's why. If you watch the, if you watch no. the version I did, Al Pacino keeps telling everybody, "Forget you, forget <laughs> you, forget <laughs> you," but he's saying something else. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh wow. Wow. I I would, I can't even imagine like trying to do Scarface.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I actually auditioned for for the Scarface. When they when they dubbed that, too. Oh,
2: really?
1: And, and it actually, Al Pacino came in and did himself, dubbed himself.
2: Wow. Wow.
1: Which, if you watch that, they came up with some very clever things. I can't say them on this interview, yeah, but they're sure. amazing. Yeah. How they even got that on TV, that should have gotten them an Emmy itself. Right. <laughs>
2: Right. Uh, I was a big fan of uh, Two and a Half Men, and I listened to this interview with Chuck Lorre, who was the producer and writer, and he said that they taped two versions of the show, one with stuff that they knew they would get past the censors, and then stuff they thought was questionable, but they wanted to put in front of the censors to see if they could get any of it through. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, and... He says a lot of times they would take the stuff that would make them cringe to to put past the the sensors, but the sensors were like, yeah, that's fine. You can use that. Right, yeah,
1: like <laughs> you never know what the, thats pretty yeah. funny. I can understand that. Yeah. They wa- they wanted to cover themselves both ways.
2: Right, there. right, right. So hmm. they would shoot it with, you know, two different versions, and then you know, if the sensor said no, they said, oh, all right, well, we have this version over here. <laughs>
1: That's funny because sometimes they do that in the movies, like they'll shoot it the R-rated way, and then they'll do the same scene and have the same actor just say, darn you, you know.
2: Yeah, right, right. It's interesting. I'm sure it's a lot of time-consuming work, too, on top of it all.
1: Oh, see yeah. I when I did the Al Pacino job I I was there at eight in the morning and left like at seven at night and it was that was like one of wow. the most grueling days I've ever had wow. Wow. on a on a doing a voice. So you're just like exhausted. Yeah. You've got to follow Al Pacino's uh you know you got to follow his body language and the way he's going for the entire movie. And he's really. And a movie could take like two months to make. And this you had to pretty much do in like those hours. He, yeah. It's like relentless. It was wow. exhausting.
2: Yeah. Wow. wow. I'm surprised they didn't break it up over, you know, a couple of days.
1: I know. Sometimes they do that, but they don't like doing that because then they have to pay you the whole rate again.
3: Oh. That's right. But
1: actually it wasn't mm. terrible but if you the the hardest thing on a on a lot of uh, voice actors will tell you is when you do video games mm. and you have, and it's like a war game and you have to yell and scream in agony for right. every possible way the game can go. Right. I won't do those kinds of things though. I've done a, I did it once or twice and it's it's just not something I want to do again. Some people are expert screamers, and it doesn't bother them. I'm yeah. not one of those people.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah. I know uh, Bill Farmer was saying that when he does Pluto, the Pluto voice, it kind of strains his voice from, you know, barking and growling and, you know, making all those Oh, yeah, yeah right. Sounds. See, yeah. Of
1: course it would. Yeah. And they, yeah.
2: Yeah. He says goofy's fine, but Pluto's a little bit of a challenge.
1: <laughs> I can understand that because of that uh, growling stuff, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, what are your top fa- favorite uh, impressions that you do?
1: I would say, uh, well, definitely Rod Serling, <laughs> Maxwell Smart, and uh-huh. Rocky Boy, I say that too. You know what I mean? I right. say that. Um, let's see, Al Pacino. Right, Al Pacino. Whoa! I live in the dark here. <laughs> you know, that was that was the way. I, I do Al Pacino all through his career. When he when he started off, he had a very high-pitched kind of... If you ever watch yeah. his 70s movies, he's mm-hmm. just talking like this. And then in the 80s, he talks like this. And then in the 90s, he's talking like this.
0: Yeah, the
3: cigars and caught so up to I, him. I,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it was... uh, Yeah, his voice really changed. Most movie stars, their voices really don't change. His completely changed. Yeah, yeah. Then I like doing the different voiceovers, Disneyland voiceovers. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Disneyland monorail will take you to the Disneyland Hotel. I, I really practiced those voices as right. a kid. Yeah. And, and, um, Charlton Heston, those who seek God and the Lord, come to me. It's a very, a very Powerful way of speaking actually i'd like to I'd like to go some days just talking like charlton Eston
3: <laughs>
1: That's right it makes it gives you a great feeling. The <laughs> sandpits have stiffened my knees, royal one. <laughs> I like to go up to women and say, Your scent is sweeter than all the wine of Babylon." <laughs> How's that work out for you? Eh, sometimes it works. It depends if they've seen the movie. Fair enough. (laughs) I like that, you know, men used to talk like that. It's like actors back then had that, because they were raised on radio, you know, and they had to perform these characters. Like, they brought me in for the Disney dub of Howl's Moving Castle. That's a Miyazaki thing. Right. And um, Studio Ghibli was this Japanese company in Miyazaki, and Disney wanted to dub these into English, finally. And yeah. I, if you see Howl's Moving Castle, it's got all these big movie stars and me.
3: Right. Christian
1: Bale, Billy Crystal, Lauren Bacall. Right. And I got to be a king. And I, I sort of made him a combination of Charlton Heston and Gregory Peck. Huh. So huh. That's the way those old time actors spoke, you know. So I felt huh. very good about that. But the best thing about that is I got on a cast list with Lauren Bacall. Wow! Who wow. I ever thought would happen. I mean, who would ever think that would happen? You know? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But what what's really a kind of depressing is you you hear about these casts and you think you're going to be like sitting on a couch with them, eating sandwiches and talking about the movie, and then you get there and you're only in your own little room alone. Yeah. With like a box of Kleenex and some pencils. <laughs> you know, and then they don't really have you together ever.
0: Right. Yeah. Well that that's probably very disappointing. But still, you you are in a project with, with Lauren Bacall and, yeah. and all those other great actors. You you're I the know, man.
1: He, right. It felt it felt great. But when I tell that to anybody under thirty, they go, Huh? <laughs> Who's that? I know Christian Bale. <laughs> yeah, right. Thanks. Thanks, I appreciate but that. But that was great too. That, it was great to be in something like Christian Bale. I mean, that guy, he's in, unbelievable. You know,
0: yeah. he's done some things. Yeah. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's funny doing this. It's funny being on this end of of the interview because I'm the one that always breaks into stu- uh, silly voices with with Tony. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. I am goofy, and I I I was the kid that had the the tape player and I would do my own radio shows and, uh, I would always do that kind of stuff. And I go into silly voices with Tony all the time. So it's fun to be on the other end of that where I don't have to, I don't have to do that. I can be on the receiving end of the cool stuff. So that's right. That's nice. That's right. I'm enjoying myself very much. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so you talked about doing um, the uh, obviously Tower of Terror, and then you've done some some roles with the Bambi franchise. What other Disney work have you done?
1: Well, let's see. I did uh, a lot of promos for Zootopia. Uh, oh, really? Uh, Zootopia. The I, I, if you go on YouTube, you can find them. If you go to the bonus features. Huh. I, t- I talk about all the behind-the-scenes things in Zootopia, about the uh, clever little uh, innuendos from the other different, uh, the little references from other Disney movies you can see throughout Zootopia.
3: Right. Sure.
1: Like Anna and Elsa dresses worn by a few of the characters, you know, things like that.
3: Sure. Right.
1: But that was great. And also, um, in the Bambi DVD, there, there was another character that never made the movie, a grasshopper. And I... I got to do the voice of this guy. He was a very annoying little character that jumped on Bambi and was so irritating. And uh, I guess Walt kind of just cut the whole scene. But on the DVD, you could see that uh, deleted sequence through storyboards, and I bring him to life and made him talk like a real cow, you know.
2: Wow.
1: Yep, that was fun. And also, if you go to The Magic Kingdom... Uh, There's this game where you walk around with a little card making all these things happen in front of Pirates of the Caribbean. And I'm the voice that sets off the cannons on top of the attraction. Wow. (laughs) I play a a very fancy Spanish soldier that I base the voice on Ricardo Montalbán. And I yell, fuego! (laughs) And the cannons Shoot off the top, and it's very exciting. The voice <laughs> comes out of a helmet. So if you see this helmet sitting in front of the attraction, right. that yeah. and you wait for someone to put a little card in front of it, some kid, you'll hear my voice blast out.
2: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. I haven't played that game in a
0: long time. It's been a while. It's a game. So we have a theory, uh, Tony and I, and I think you can probably answer the theory whether it's true or not. If, yeah. If you go and you watch... Um, Oh, gosh. Any any Disney movie or TV show in the last 10 years, you'll start to see the same actors over and over and over and over again. The, the most recent one was um, Natalie Portman is going yeah. to be doing the voiceover work for the new Disney nature movie, um, Dolphins at the Reef or yeah, yeah. Dolphins at the mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. So we have a theory, and the theory is: once Disney, and I'm, I'm going I'm to try to say this the nice way. Once Disney gets you in their circle of friends, uh, Tony likes to say, gets their claws into you. But I'm going to say it nicely. Once don't once you start, once you start doing one thing for Disney, then you just they keep using the same people over and over again. Is that is that accurate? Is that well, a well? It's kind
1: of been like that for a while because you know I'm friends with Peter Renadade. You know that is.
0: Oh, and he rings a bell. No.
1: He Peter Renaday, is the voice of Henry the Bear and the Country oh. Bear Jamboree. But he was also the voice of Lincoln at Walt Disney World. And you can <laughs> see him and he pops up in various nineteen seventies, the million dollar duck and all and <laughs> Herbie rides again. You know, yeah. you'll you'll see these same guys pop up. Right. But that's kind of the way the business has always been, you know. Even the old universal monster movies you'll see the same mm. extras and yep. people pop up in these things. Yep. Just easier that way, I guess.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's once you're in the family. Yeah. Well, I think back in the day they, you know, the studio actors were under contract to, you know, MGM and you know, all those studios and and you know, they, yep. they taught you how to, you know, act and dance and walk and you know, smoke your cigarettes and all that kind yeah of stuff. right. Yeah.
1: Yeah right. Tap dance. And yeah. saying yeah. everything.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They taught you everything. That's great. Um, hey Mark, I know Disneyland, which is you know obviously close to where you all go. But how did you feel that they were turning the Tower of Terror into Guardians of the Galaxy?
1: Well, obviously, I wasn't thrilled no, about right, that. Sure. At all. Sure. But you know they did what they had to do. I I still go to Disneyland and love it, and I'm right. just happy the uh, the original Tower of Terror still stands nice and healthy at the Hollywood Studios.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's going anywhere. No, I don't. Think I figure so
1: since it's a classic and it's been there 25 years, it's sort of glues it there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean it's
0: it's it's a it's an incredible attraction. It scares the bejesus out of me. But Tony seems to like it. Uh, I love everything except sitting down, plugging in. And then once I know that I'm actually in the the vehicle part that that picks up and drops you and bounces you like a ball, that's the only part where I'm like, I really can't stand it. Everything up to then, the amazing effects, all that great. It's phenomenal. It's just the dropping. Thank you.
1: But, but, you know, being that the drops are randomized, you really got to go on several times to appreciate that because you can't even physically brace yourself for the drop because you might be shooting straight up or you don't know what's going to happen. Oh,
0: I know. I I know. But it seems like I'm always. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I apologize.
1: Oh, I I was going to say the the theming of that ride is about as great as Imaginary has ever done. It's extraordinary.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's always something a little different. Yeah, always subtle tweaks here and there. The cast members mm-hmm. do a great job of keeping it fresh, even after yes, so many they years. Do. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Have you uh, seen what they've done now uh, at Christmas time to the well, Disney yes. World? yeah where they project map?
1: It's amazing that mapping thing really caught yeah. on, didn't it? <laughs> well, it
2: yeah. did for Disney. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's very cheery, I'll tell yeah. you. It's amazing that works, because I can't figure out where do you even have the projectors that would be able to ah. do that.
2: I don't even know. I don't. Uh, I know where they are in the Magic Kingdom for the castle show. There's, uh, I think there's now 18 of them. Um, they started with 16, and then they added two more. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for the Tower of Terror, I'm not sure where they put them. They must put them on a building, kind of across from there. Yeah. I'll have to... Do a sight line check it's, next time. it's
0: amazing and because they're throwing such high quality video, it's so gorgeous. I, I one time I was driving by um on World Drive kinda goes um perpendicular to the park and uh you know mile and a half away and I could still see crystal clear what was going up and down the, the yeah. tower. It with, uh, with the Christmas overlay, it it was phenomenal. Wow. I just,
1: I, just from the street, you saw that. Yeah.
0: I can't imagine being on the actual attraction during all that, and the thing opens, and it's like,
1: Merry Christmas, fall. <laughs> I wonder if you even know if you're on the attraction. That's
0: going on. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I have my eyes shut, so I don't know what's going on. I know I'm going up and down a lot, but I see dark. That's, that's my whole goal. Um, when was the first time... Do you actually heard the completed recording of your voiceover, and do you remember your your thoughts of of what that was like to hear yourself knowing that it was going into a Disney attraction?
1: Well, I heard a little of it back during the actual recording, but mm. I never heard it all together at once until I actually went on the attraction on the at the grand opening wow. in nineteen ninety four in october of ninety four it was Mm-hmm. September of 94, and uh, it it was, I mean, it, it, when I heard my voice for the first time in the library, it was, I mean, it was so crazy satisfying, and I was so moved by it. I kind of, you know, broke down a little. Really, I got yeah. so into it, I, I couldn't believe that this was happening.
2: Right, right.
1: I mean if you knew my life before that and saw how how much Disney mattered to me to be standing there hearing my voice blasting back in an E ticket Disney attraction yeah. it was it was as dramatic as anything that's ever happened I mean, let me put it that way
2: yeah. yeah. Did you have a favorite part of that script that you were like, "Oh yeah, this is really cool."
1: Yes. You know what I loved um I love that final moment, the little uh, bit at the end. A warm welcome back to those of you who made it, and a friendly word of warning, something you won't find in any guidebook. The next time you check into a deserted hotel on the dark side of Hollywood, make sure you know just what kind of vacancy you're filling, or you may find yourself a permanent resident of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> mm.
2: That's fantastic. I love that
1: bit. Yeah. I love that bit that says... Um, Something you won't find in any guidebook. Because there are a few episodes where Rod said something just like that. So it, it, it really felt like that's exactly what Rod Sterling would say in this situation.
2: Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and I, I do agree with you. I do like that part of the uh, script as well. Yeah. And it's...
1: yeah, it's a great closing. Uh, Michael Sprout wrote that. Huh. Hmm. The, old, the Imagineer who, who was uh, terrific to work with.
0: It's it's great. The whole attraction specifically as a fan uh, of the Twilight Zone, I was a fan through because I grew up in the 70s. So I was watching a lot of reruns. Then the movie came out. Mm. Uh, I've not really bought into the new stuff that's coming out on the CBS All Access app. But as a fan of the Twilight Zone, to be able to sit there and look around the library and see all the nods to the classic attractions and then now knowing where that specific scene uh, that that your voice appears with Rod Serling. And that's one of my favorite, if not scariest episodes to me. <laughs> uh, wow. Just, you know, it's, it's such a nice touch. It's, it's a, you know, for me, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's probably going to be the next thing. Uh, the only thing I'll be thinking about the whole time because I I did a check. My heart rate was doubled when I was standing in the line. But now I know that that's that's that scene and it's you and we've talked. That'll help me get through it next time, Mark. Thank you.
1: That's funny, yeah. I, I'm glad I can help you with that. Yeah. I, I'm glad, yeah. So But you're right, you're right. That it's really neat, especially when you when you drop at the end and you're in the basement uh-huh. and you could find all these little things that popped up in different episodes.
0: Yeah. It's so good. Yeah.
1: So like the um the, uh, the 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 one arm bandit the slot machine from do you know that episode?
3: No. The guy no. goes to
1: the guy goes to Vegas with his wife and she's playing the games and he thinks it's stupid and then he becomes absolutely obsessed with this one slot machine and he can't stop putting quarters he can't stop you know and then finally the machine comes up to his hotel room and then he falls out the window and dies of fright. Wow. Yikes! He went crazy from the machine, and then you see it there, sitting there right in the uh, attraction.
2: Yeah. Wow. wow.
0: My favorite is the—I uh, uh, cannot remember the name of it—but it's the Burgess Meredith episode where he, we, uh, the last man on the face of the earth, or the last man, oh, yeah. On the, and uh, he loves to read, and he finally gets—he loves
1: to read. He loves to read, and breaks his glasses. <laughs> yeah. That's not fair. <laughs> no, that's not fair at all. That's not fair. The best laid plans of mice and men. That's right. And Henry Bemis. <laughs> there yep. you go. That's, I, that's think the he's, I think the broken glasses are in the, uh, they uh, are. the Tower of Terror somewhere. Yeah. They yeah. are. I
0: point them out every time. My wife is tired
1: of seeing them. Uh, one last I part. know. When, when, when I was young, I bought an extra pair of glasses just in case that would happen. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Smart
0: man. Smart man. It's a horrible thought. If I'm you know trapped in a, a parallel dimension and i got all the books in the world, and I, I'm alone, and I can read, but I break my glasses. I'm toast. Yeah. I don't go crazy. We yep, have, that's right. We understand that you go way back with Disney. We've talked about that. Uh, and there's one piece of the parks that you actually owned when you were just 14. Can you share that story with us?
1: Wait, wait, what? <laughs> you lost me on that one. <laughs> uh,
2: I I think it is has to do with the Pirates of the Caribbean and water. Right.
1: Oh yeah, well, that, yes, 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 yes. I was so obsessed with Pirates of the Caribbean when I was fourteen in 1978. I actually brought a little plastic bottle and took some water, and <laughs> I, I I had it for years, but it evaporated because uh, it wouldn't last for forty oh, years.
0: Yeah.
3: But
1: what was weird was I would you would smell the water and it smelled just like the ride years later. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, you can
2: always go back and get another scooping.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I don't want people to start doing that, though. You know, the <laughs> yeah, the, no. the, the uh, ride needs water. Yes, <laughs> that's important.
2: Yeah. Can you imagine if everybody took a glass out?
1: <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. I I love that ride, and I love when you the water splashes you. I love that it really feels like you're like it, it's kind of loose. Like it's not like you're just on a track. Like you never know what the water is going to do. It's yeah. unpredictable.
2: Yeah. Well, you're also the Disneyland version is way better than the Well, the
1: Dis- the Disneyland version to me is the greatest Disney attraction ever created, I yeah.
2: think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really big building.
1: Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and the the way that it, it retracts on itself. I mean, I I still cannot figure out how they knew how to put that together in 1967.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing stuff.
1: Yes, but I look forward to coming out there in October.
2: Perfect. So tell us about the event uh, happening in October.
1: Well, it's it's going to be... (laughs) It's wonderful. I can't believe this is happening, actually. Well, it's for the 25th anniversary. Wow. The 25th anniversary, and it deserves some sort of attention, but there's going to be a huge... Event, a nice little, you know, desserts and some beverages, and there's going to be giveaways, and I'm going to be there talking about the attraction, right? And it's going to be a uh, wonderful. We're all very excited about it. I think it's October fourth, is what it is.
2: Correct. Yep, October fourth. Uh, there's going to be a photographer there. We know, uh, like you said, desserts. I think a cash bar if you want some alcohol. Uh, and then everybody's going to get a special gift, too, so... Um.
1: Right. They're going to get a special special gift, and then there's a beautiful art piece being done. Yeah. And they can, they can go on the attraction with the actual voice of the ride, and this will be after park hours, so it's right. very special. Oh, nice. It's really a great thing to ride that ride after park hours.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. We... Uh, we wrote it uh, with the Disney Out Fan Club a long time ago, Mark, where they had turned off the uh, audio
1: track. Okay. No, I didn't know that. I, you, I would have done it live. You did. Oh, I did? Yeah. <laughs> did I really? <laughs> yes, you were. Actually,
2: it was funny. You were sitting next to me, and uh, we did it once the normal way, and then uh, the second time, they actually turned on the lights and turned off the audio. And you were uh, doing the audio. Uh, for us, live in the car.
1: Wow! Yeah, that, that really those things. I mean, that that's a very rare opportunity to get to do that kind of thing. So it's ex- yeah. extremely fun.
2: Yeah, yeah, it'd be something that they should uh, think about for this October event.
1: You're absolutely
0: right. Absolutely. How can we How can we find out some more information about how to attend this event?
1: More information. Well, you can. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I, no way about I don't know how to do that exactly. Do you
0: have the information, T?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You want to contact uh, info at pixiedusteddreams.com if you need more information. And then we'll put up a link on our uh, website for the uh, Eventbrite link. Uh, oh, you, good. Yeah. So the people can purchase the tickets.
1: Oh good. Yep. All right, good. Cut out the part where I said I don't know what's going you made me make it sound like I know what's going on. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'll do it. We cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule and talking with us and I'm sure we could talk with you for hours. Uh, And we just just want to thank you so much for not only uh, talking with us tonight, but also, you know, your gift of the voice of Rod Serling and all the amazing things that you've done uh, for the Disney community. Uh, I like to tell uh, people like you, Imagineers, Disney legends, uh, thank you. Because you don't get thanked
1: Well, enough. it's a pleasure. I, I love talking about it all because I'm. it's been so much a part of me since I was a kid, you know, all the Disney stuff and the Disneyland and Walt Disney World. So I love talking about it.
2: Right. That's great. All right. Uh, well, like uh, John said, we want to thank you for uh, coming on and telling us all these uh, great stories. And if you want to see more of Mark in person, get a little picture, talk to him. October 4th, we'll post all the links on the uh, website that you can go uh, get all the information and the Facebook page. So, uh, as we like to say around here, we'll see you in the parks.
0: The Disney Parks podcast is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. All Disney parks, attractions, lands, shows, event names, etc., are registered trademarks of the Walt Disney Company.